You know, last week was a special weekend for all of us. The Easter weekend. How many of y'all were here to watch the Risen movie? Yeah? So many of y'all. And it was such a powerful movie. And some of you were like me. You also had the privilege of watching it even twice. One on Good Friday and another time on the Saturday service as well. And even the second time when I watched it, once again, I was captivated by the message of how much the Lord loves us. And you know, the message of, of Easter, the message of Good Friday, it is not a once a year topic for us to ponder upon. And so when I was preparing the message for today, I felt the Lord lay in my heart the message of the cross, the message of how important the cross is for every one of us and not just once a year, not just only on that Good Friday when all focus is on that. Last week, Pastor Vincent preached a powerful message on He holds the keys. Truly, the Lord Jesus holds the keys for so many areas. And you know what, what the world says, the saddest spectacle took place at the cross, but it revealed the most joyous time for all mankind when salvation took place. You know, I was talking to the young adults yesterday. How many here, I know this is a slightly different crowd from the young adults, yeah? How many here, you have already watched the movie The Avengers? Wow, the hands going up so fast. Got or not? Got or not? Got, got Avengers fans here or not? Got right? I see some hands. How many you have not watched yet but you want to watch? Ah, now the power is in my hand. Do I release a spoiler? <laughs> you know, the whole internet is so full of like, don't tell me anything, don't give me any spoilers. And, and there are some of our friends uh, who love to give us spoilers, right? They will tell you everything, but the actual thing, they'll tell you the emotions and the this, and you already can feel that, okay, something is going to happen and, and you, you, you don't get the full effect. But I was telling the young adults this, do you know what was the greatest spoiler in the history of mankind? The greatest spoiler was Jesus Christ himself. Before he went to the cross, before he rose again, he already told all his disciples. Correct or not? He already gave the biggest spoiler. But yet nobody believed him. So today, I can give you any spoiler about the Avengers. You can still believe me, right? Or maybe you won't. I don't know what it is. But you know, the cross, it was something very powerful. And today, I want to talk about one verse from 1 Corinthians chapter 1 and verse 18. Let's have the verse here. Can I ask you to stand for the reading of this one verse because it's still the Word of God? Read with me. One, two. For the word of the cross is folly to those who are perishing, but to us who are being saved, it is the power of God. May the Lord bless the reading of the word. Let's pray. Father, we thank you for the cross. We thank you for the living word. We ask that, Lord, you anoint our time together, Lord. Anoint the speaker, anoint the hearer. Let your presence be with us in Jesus' name. Amen. You may be seated. This verse was written by Apostle Paul himself to the church in Corinth. And this, take a look at this verse. The word of the cross, the word here means the proclamation, the message. The message of the cross is folly. Folly is just another word for 
foolishness. So the word of the cross is foolishness to those who are perishing. But to those of us who are being saved, the message of the cross is the power of God. So that is the, the, the broad overview of what this verse is about. But I just want to take time to break this verse down so that we can fully understand the intent of Apostle Paul and how it applies to us 2,000 years later. So the first thing we see here, that is what we call a paradox. A paradox of the cross. What is a paradox? The word paradox, people say, how I use such big words, huh? The paradox simply means it is a statement. A statement or a proposition that seems to contradict. But in reality, it actually expresses a position of truth. It expresses a possible truth. The Bible, even Jesus himself, he always talks in many instances in paradoxes. Let me give you examples. In Matthew, Jesus said, whoever finds his life will lose it. And whoever loses his life for my sake will find it. Huh? What does that mean? I lose my life, then I find it. Then I find my life, then I lose it. Wow, so confusing. This is why it's called a paradox. Another instance, everyone who exalts himself will be humbled. And he who humbles himself will be exalted. Another example, many who are first will be last. And many who are last will be first. Whoever wants to become great among you must first become the servant. So you see, Jesus himself spoke in a very paradoxical way. Because why? The Jewish thinking, the Jewish understanding, their brain was fashioned in such a way to understand paradoxes. Nowadays, we have a very linear thinking. We are very logical and very linear in our thinking. So paradoxes are very difficult sometimes to grasp. But it is very essential for us to grasp what is this paradox of the cross. The message of the cross really has so much of contradiction. In the message of the cross, there is death and then life. In the message of the cross, hate put Jesus there, but love held him there. Violence ushered in peace for all mankind. Sin was nailed to the cross so that we could have purity and righteousness in Christ. There was destruction of the enemy's powers so that we could have restoration. Defeat was met with eternal victory. One of the cruelest forms of execution brought to us eternal and abundant life. The cross really means different things to different people. I'm sure many of us in our homes, we may have the cross displayed, displayed on a wall, maybe displayed on, on a nice tabletop in your, on your coffee table. Or many of us may, may even be wearing a cross around your neck. But you know, when I was growing up, it became an in thing. Okay, I'm going to reveal my age right now. Okay, Madonna was one of the first few pop stars 
who started wearing huge crosses. Huge crosses and she made it a fashion icon, a fashion symbol. And that's when everybody started wearing the cross and the meaning of the cross was no longer associated with just Christians. It became associated with just a thing to wear. And then it just got out of hand after that. I remember growing up and I wanted a cross when I was about eight or nine years old. And when my grandmother asked me, what do you want for your birthday? And I said, I want a cross. I want to wear a cross on, on my chain. And my grandmother strangely said, no, I cannot give you a cross. You're a little girl. You cannot understand what it is to wear the cross yet. And so she refused to, and I, I always, I held that against her, like, my grandmother, ask me what I want, I don't want to give me a cross. And I never fully understood it until years later, when the fullness of the message of the cross hit me, and I understood, she didn't want me to treat the cross as a mere fashion icon. She wanted me to fully understand what the cross represents, what it means for our lives, that it, can, it must be more than just a fashion statement, but it has to really have deep meaning. And so today I pray that we all will fully understand what the meaning of the cross is for all of us. Now, in, in, this, in this verse, Paul was addressing the church in Corinth. The church in Corinth was a very big church. It was located in a bustling city. And this city was full of a lot of idol worship. But at the same time, the Greeks there were all very philosophical Greeks. Now, to understand the Greek thinking, you must go back a couple of hundred years later when people like Aristotle and Plato, they were the, the gurus of the day for the Greeks. And so, hundreds of years later, it was such a philosophical mindset that every single Greek had. And they used to do this over their lattes, over their cappuccinos. They will have philosophical discussions about, you know, the, the vastness of life, the meaning of life, the reality of matter, and different, different things. And so the Greeks extolled wisdom. And the Jews, on the other hand, they had endured hundreds of years of different rules. Not just the Roman rule, there was the Babylonian rule, there was the Assyrian rule, and they were longing for the Messiah to come in power to rule them as a human king. That was the background. And Paul was realizing that the church in Corinth was beginning to mix the teachings of the world, the wisdom of the world. They were mixing the wisdom of the world with the teachings of the gospel. And they started getting confused. Because in the Greek world, you are known by who, uh, which teacher you are following. Oh, I am a follower of Aristotle. How about you, Leh? Oh, you are Plato. Oh, I see. So they all follow by the teachers and the gurus, which is why just earlier, a couple of verses earlier, you'll find the church in Corinth were having arguments. They were saying things, Oh, I follow Apollos. Apollos was a very, very eloquent guy. Oh, but I follow Paul. Oh, you, I'm Paul's gang one, not Apollos' gang. Oh, another one said, oh, I follow Peter. So Paul was writing to say, what is all this? We all follow the one message, which is the true message of the cross, and that is the gospel. So even today, we must be very careful. We don't follow any man. We don't follow any denomination, but we follow the gospel message of the Lord Jesus Christ. Amen. Amen. And so 
Further down in the verse, we have a verse which says in verse 22, For the Jews demand signs and the Greeks seek wisdom. So now we understand why the Jews, they were demanding signs to know whether Jesus could have been the Messiah. That's why they came out asking Jesus, show us some signs, show us some signs. And Jesus will say, oh, you unbelieving generation, how much more signs do you want me to show? He was already healing so many people who were sick. Everyone that was sick came to him and was healed. He even raised Lazarus from the dead. What other signs would they need? But yet they crucified Jesus. The verse which I read earlier talks about the folly of the cross. The cross was a message of folly to those who were on their way to perishing. The Greeks thought it was foolishness. The Greek word for foolishness here, it comes from the root word moria, which is where our modern English word gets the term moron. So, don't call people morons simply, okay? Because the Greeks, they thought that all believers were morons. Are you a moron? No, right? I'm not a moron. You're not a moron. But that was what the world thinks. And even today, sometimes maybe people who, when you tell them, I'm a Christian, I believe in the Lord Jesus Christ, I believe He died, and then He rose again, they're like, ah, such an absurd faith. Doesn't make sense, this faith. In fact, there's one BBC program. When they talked about the Christian faith, they said this. It is the only faith which focuses on the degrading death of their God. But they, did, they just stopped there because they didn't talk about a God who had such a humiliating death, but then again, He rose three days later and He won the victory. They forget that part. Come on, we know that part, right church? So they forgot that part. That's why it's foolishness to them. The idea of trusting a suffering and bleeding man is absurd to anyone. To the Jews, it was called scandalous. Scandalous because the death on the cross. Last week, we saw the movie Risen. And what struck me so much was after the crucifixion, the other two that were on the cross, when they were brought down, and how their bodies were just kicked and rolled into that pit. It broke my heart. Because that was the kind of death the crucifixion was related to. A death where you are just pushed aside after death, no one's there to bury you. It is really the worst. Beyond the pain, it was humiliating. It gives no sense of honour or dignity. And yet Jesus Christ did that for all of us. You know the word excruciating in our English language? The word excruciating comes from two Latin words. Ex and crux. Ex means from. Crux is the Latin word for crucifixion. So the pain endured at the cross crucifixion was where we get the word excruciating. That was the excruciating pain Jesus Christ died for us. And that was why the Jews could not understand, could not fathom. The wisdom of the Greeks said it doesn't make sense 
for God to be that kind of God. It doesn't make sense, your, your faith that you share. And we go through that even today, even in our faith, when we try and share with people, they say, no, la, thank you very much, but it doesn't make sense, your faith. It seems silly to me sometimes. Maybe they won't say it to your face, but maybe they think it. But it's interesting what the, the passage continues to say. But God chose what is foolish in the world to shame the wise. God chose what is weak in the world to shame the strong. God chose what is low and despised in the world, even things that are not, to bring to nothing things that are, so that no human being might boast in the presence of God. Our wisdom has advanced leaps and bounds compared to the days of the Greeks. It has advanced so much more and yet, I would like to proclaim, God's wisdom continues to triumph. Amen. The wisdom of God will never be at all like the wisdom of the world. God's wisdom always triumphs. And His way was, He chose what was foolish to shame those who were wise. So many wise people think they want to outsmart. Sometimes we have conversations with people as we're sharing the gospel and they try and trick us up. And maybe we say, oh, yo, Lord, I cannot talk to these kind of people. They're, they're too wise for me. But I want to encourage you. You have the wisdom of God in you. There is nothing too wise that you cannot do. You know, you don't have to outsmart them. But the wisdom of the Lord will know how to reach them. And the Lord deliberately chose something beyond our understanding. You know, there are always people, right? I'm sure you've encountered it in your workplaces. Where when you finally give a solution, and then they say, eh, actually, uh, I was already thinking about that only. I never say only. <laughs> Correct or not? There will always be somebody who will have like some smart-ass answer in that sense. You know, like, oh my goodness, some smarty-pants answer. You know, they will just say, oh my goodness, I also know about it one. I just never tell you. Wait for you all to say first lah. <sighs> but you know what? The Lord knows human human nature. So what did the Lord say? He said, I did it this way so that man, no one can boast because it was beyond anyone's understanding. Who would have even come up with a solution for God to come in the form of man and to die such a brutal death and overcome with the resurrection? So we don't boast in any of our human wisdom, but we boast in the wisdom of God. The cross redefines wisdom and reveals true foolishness. So church, you're on the side of wisdom. Hallelujah. You're on the side of wisdom. The cross redefines. It will never make sense to human understanding, but therein lies the purpose of the cross. From the paradox of the cross, we must understand there was always a paradox between the wisdom and the foolishness. But there was always a purpose why the Lord chose the cross. Because there was a need for that perfect sacrifice. You know the Bible verse that we read just now? The word of the cross is folly to those who are perishing. But it's wisdom to those who are being saved for the power of God. And Greek scholars, what they did was they went into the actual Greek context because they noticed that 
Paul used the present continuous tense to those who are perishing, to those who are being saved. Let's have the next slide, please. And so the Greek scholars, they began to come up with their own paraphrase. Oh, we've done this already. Next one. <laughs> All right, we've done this too. We've done this, okay. All right, here we are. Okay. And though they came up with this paraphrase, the proclamation of the cross is for their part, folly to those who are on their way to ruin. But for our part, the power of God to us who are on our way to salvation. Because he was trying to illustrate what Paul actually meant in the actual Greek context was those who are perishing, they are on their way to ruin. They are on their way. They are walking there. They have not reached that place of ruin. But what is happening is they are on their way, church. So for those who are on their way to ruin, the message of the cross is foolishness to them. But do you know what that means? It encourages me that verse. Because what it means is, those who are on their way to ruin means that they have not reached there, which means you and I, we continue to have that opportunity. We continue to have that chance to snatch them away from the path of going into ruin. We have that chance, as, as Jude says, we are called to snatch them out of the fiery pits. Snatch them out before they reach that point of no return. We all have people who are not yet Christians, not yet believers. And yet, we know that there is hope. They are only on their way. And we have that chance, we have that responsibility to snatch them away. And in that same verse, it says this as well. It is the power of God for those who are on their way to salvation. It is a present continuous tense on your way to salvation. What is it on your way? I thought, Pastor, I already came up to the altar and I said the sinner's prayer. One time, Kautim already What is Paul saying now? Because you know, church, we need to continue to work at our walk with the Lord. Once we have received that amazing love and grace and forgiveness of the Lord Jesus Christ, as we accept Him into our hearts as Lord and Saviour of our lives, we need to continue to be on our way, work out our salvation with fear and trembling, continue to walk in the wisdom of the Lord, continue to hide the Word of God in our hearts, continue to pray, seek Him, and do all that He asks us to do, because that is how we continue on our journey to salvation. So that's why in, in church, we continue to have classes to equip us, to teach us, to train us. That is why we continue to say, come for prayer meetings, come for all these things because these are ways where we can grow. We can continue to ask the Lord to fill us, impart us to do more for the Lord. That is our role. So because really in church, there are only two kinds of people in the world. The world is just divided into two kinds of people. Those who are on their way to ruin 
and those who are on their way to salvation. And we need to know where we are. We need to know where we are and we need to bring those who are on their way over here so that they too can join us on our way to salvation. The first and greatest principle of the purpose of the cross, it is the love of God. The cross basically was God's declaration of love to the world. The cross became the love that God said, I will spare nothing that all will know. We all know this verse, John 3, 16. Would you say it together with me? For God so loved the world that He gave His only begotten Son that whoever believes in Him should not perish but have everlasting life. God so loved the whole world and that was the ultimate purpose of the cross. It is God's statement. Every time you see that cross around your neck, every time you see the cross displayed in your house, remember that it is God's declaration that He loves you. He loves your household. He loves your colleagues. He loves your neighbours. That is God's declaration of love that He came to die for us. Salvation for man was afforded because of Christ's death. God was able to declare boldly. We have tasted so much of God's goodness. We have tasted so much of all that God has done for our lives. And you know, because we can't keep good news to ourselves. Every time we, we, we hear good news, a good discount here, I hope we are telling our friends, right? Hey, you must go here, very good deal there. You must go that place, you know. They're having good discounts. And things get forwarded to us on our WhatsApp messages because we love to share good news. And I pray that this is the one good news, the love of an amazing and powerful God. A God that doesn't spare anything for you and I. And it is because of that one purpose. That's why we in Glad Hidings, we have decided that we wanted to equip everybody so that we can all be bold enough to share the word. That every one of us will not have to be scared because I understand it is very scary to be able to share the gospel. And that's why I, I love that we have embarked on the trainings for the one-minute witness. One-minute witness training. The training lasts three hours. Like you won't be trained in one minute. But after three hours, you will be able to share your testimony. You'll be so confident to share how God, having God in your life, having Christ as the Lord of your life, how He's changed your life. And so really, we need every one of us to be equipped in that. I myself sometimes struggle. You know, when, when you go to a coffee shop and then it's like, oh my goodness, how, how, to, how to go up to somebody just like that? I'm actually quite an introvert, so it takes a lot of, for me to like, okay, let's do this. I have to like psych myself up. Okay, Lord, we're going to do this. We're going to share this. And I myself, I'm still learning. But you know what? We continue to say, God, help us. Teach us, show us. You know why? 
because it is so important to snatch those who are on their way to perishing. They're not there yet. There is still hope. There is still something that can be done by you and I as the Holy Spirit activates in us. So I pray really that before the year ends, the next time we have this training, the next time all these things are afforded to us, I pray that we won't just brush it aside and say, oh, it's only for the leaders. It's only for the pastors. I've got so much on my plate, I can't handle it. But I want to encourage you, you know, when we start sharing, as, as we were sharing about our testimonies, even at the recent training, it touched my heart so much with different ones started sharing their own story and they started tearing up. Because when you remember what God has done, how far we have come, it touches us to, to realize that without God, we can do nothing. Yesterday at the Saturday service, I was telling the young adults how a long time ago, a couple of years back, when I was uh, ministering to some of the international students, one of them told me this, Pastor, you must understand I, cannot, I don't want to come to church so often and I don't want to go cell group so often or get in, too involved and I have a very good reason. So I said, oh, okay, tell me what's the reason. And he said, because uh, when I get too involved in church on Sunday or I get too involved in cell group, if I come regularly, right, then uh, I become a target of the enemy, you know. So uh, I might as well fly under the radar. So I don't want to share the gospel and all that because uh, then the enemy will suddenly realize who I am and then they want to target me. I said, Alamak, this kind of theory, ah. Uh. And so because you know why? We all forget to realize that the cross represents something else. The cross represents the power. The power of the cross. Ah, sometimes we believers, we know this word. We say, yes, yes, there's power in the cross. And we sing powerful songs as well, declaring the power of the cross. But really, sometimes we struggle to be reminded that the same power, it is for us every single day, in every aspect of our lives. The power of the cross. The Bible verse says this, the word of the cross is folly to those who are perishing, but to us who are being saved, it is the power of God. Now the Greek word power here comes from the same word dunamis. Ah, we're all very familiar with this word dunamis. It comes from the word, no, we get the word dynamite from the Greek word dunamis. It is the same dunamis that we also see in Acts chapter 1, verse 8. And you shall receive power. You shall receive dunamis when the Holy Spirit comes upon you. And does the verse stop there? And you shall be witnesses in Jerusalem, Judea, Samaria, and the ends of the world. Ah, that dunamis power, the Lord Jesus Christ has already spoken upon it to every one of us so that we can be His witnesses. We can be His witnesses. That is what the dunamis power, it is 
God's active and transforming activity. The dunamis power is a very powerful miracle-working and transforming activity. So when we begin to embrace the power of the cross, it is not just power to just do things on the outside. It is also a transforming activity of who we are. Transforming activity of all our struggles that we have, God can transform. God can turn it around. God can begin to reverse the order. Why? Because there is a dunamis power at work because of the cross church. The dunamis power. You know, there are some people who confused the power of the cross with the actual cross. That wooden cross, the old rugged cross. But the verse that we read, it, it clearly says, the word of the cross, the message of the cross is the power. It does not lie in that wooden cross. But centuries and centuries ago, Emperor Constantine's mother, her name was Helena, apparently she led a team and apparently they discovered the original cross where Jesus was crucified on. And so they took all these remnants and they decided they wanted to bless the churches. These are the ancient churches. And so they broke it down and they gave portions to different parts of the world so that everybody can have what you call a relic. These are called the relics. And so everybody had it. And before long, every church or so like, seemed to have a portion. And this was in, the, in 300 AD or something like that, or 200 AD. In, 15, in the 1500s, Pastor John Calvin made this comment. He said this, It seems like everybody seems to be having a relic of the cross, seems to be having a portion of the cross. He said, I believe that if we were to gather all the portions of the cross, it would be more than enough to fill an entire ship. Why? Because we don't know what is fake and what is real already. But you know what? People who didn't have their faith adjusted correctly, their faith was to go and visit these churches that had the relic because they thought the miracle was in that wooden piece that they had. But church, the miracle is not in any wooden piece. That power, that miracle, dunamis power, it lies in the fact that when Jesus Christ died on the cross, He rose again. We are talking about the resurrection power. The resurrection power that cheated death, that defeated death, that defeated so many things. That is the dunamis power that is still available to you and I. The power never rests in any relic, any form. When Jesus said on the cross, one of his last words, he said, it is finished. And he breathed his last. In my mind, as I try and envision the scene, I always like to envision the scene, imagining what's going on, even in the spiritual realm. When he said, it is finished, I believe the enemy... I would like to believe. The enemy was thinking, Hallelujah! Well, the enemy wouldn't say Hallelujah. Lah. The enemy would say, Hooray! 
Jesus is dead. The plan of God is defeated. The enemy has won. And so I believe that the enemy, the devil, was rejoicing along because the enemy heard wrongly. The enemy probably thought, Jesus said, I am finished. You know, like how we always say, Ayo, habis la, habis la. Maybe the enemy misheard Jesus, but Jesus didn't say, I am finished. He said, it is finished. Because the complete work, the complete work of the cross, the complete work, the purpose of God for the love of mankind, that complete purpose was achieved. It was finished because of what Jesus Christ had done. All the sin was atoned for at the cross. And that power that was about to come and give the resurrection power that was already complete, the moment He said, it is finished. So church, we rest in that assurance that it is finished. And so what is the power that you and I have today? We have the power to overcome. In the Revelations, book of Revelation 12 verse 11, it says, And they overcame him. That is the devil. They overcame him by the blood of the Lamb and by the word of their testimony. They overcame the enemy. So many times we think, the enemy can, is stronger than us, which comes back to my story just now about flying under the radar. I, sh I shared this with, with the, this young man. I said, do you know that we have that power to overcome the enemy every single time? Every single time when we can overcome the enemy by the blood of Jesus Christ and the word of our testimony, the enemy will be defeated. Church, do you believe this? We need to believe this and take heart. And then someone asked me yesterday after service, but pastor, is it so wrong to fly under the radar? Won't I still be safe? Won't I still be okay? That's a genuine question. Not because this person is a new Christian. And I told her this. I said, you know, following Christ in the fullness of His power. That's where we get the fullness of life. The fullness for the Lord says in John 10, 10, I did not, the thief comes to steal, kill and destroy. But I have come to give life and life more abundant. And so I begin to encourage that, you know what? We want to live a victorious life in the fullness. When you live a life that flies below the radar, we are denying ourselves that victories, that successes, and the assurance that no matter how hard life is, we are never alone. Come problems, come difficulties. It's okay, we don't have to have all the answers because you know what? Christ is the wisdom of us all. Hallelujah. When you need to make a decision in life, Christ is the answer. When you need a breakthrough in your life, Christ gives you that breakthrough that you need. That is the power and that is why we don't want to fly under the radar. So church, let's not fly under the radar. Let this be a year where you begin to say, Lord, I will not fly under the radar. I choose today. I will be found in your house every single weekend. I will be found attending a cell group 
I'll be found saying, Lord, here am I. How can I serve your kingdom? How can I serve your body? Let this be a year where we say, Lord, this year, Lord, is going to be different. I want to serve you with all my heart, soul, and mind. I want to respond in love to, to the great love that you have shown me because of the cross. So church, we have that power to overcome. In Romans 8, it reminds us we are not just conquerors. We are more than conquerors. You are not just a conqueror. You are more than conquerors because the Lord has spoken that over you. Tell your neighbour, you are more than a conqueror. You are more than a conqueror, church. I want to speak that into being. Speak that into your heart. More than a conqueror. Church, we have the power for freedom. So if the sun sets you free, you are free indeed. What freedom am I talking about? We all come with different past, different baggage, different situations in our life. But you know what the Lord says? At the cross, I speak forth freedom. I speak forth freedom over your lives. Because if Jesus Christ pronounces you free, you are free indeed. You are free from the baggages of your past. You are free from habitual sins. Some of them come up and say, Pastor, I'm trying, I'm trying, but every time I try, I fall back into certain areas. I know I shouldn't. And I always end up feeling so condemned. But I want to encourage you. When we begin to call upon the Christ of the cross, Jesus Christ. He can set you free from all these habitual things because the Son can set you free. The Son proclaims freedom. That's, that's the power of walking with the Lord. That's how we continue to grow in our faith as we say, Lord, we are free from our past. We are free from habitual sins. We are free to receive every new plan that God has for you. The word of the Lord says in Jeremiah, for I know the plans I have for you. Every one of you, the Lord says, I have a plan for your life. Plans not to give you harm, but plans to give you a hope. Plans to give you a future. Church, don't let the enemy tell you otherwise. The enemy has been defeated already. The Lord tells you today He has a plan for you. And you have that freedom to receive that plan for your life. Amen. We have power over disease. Hallelujah. Sickness and disease has no hold over us anymore. Because every sickness, every disease was nailed on that cross. And Jesus Christ, He defeated every disease, every sickness because of the resurrection power, that dunamis power. Yes, it is for you today. It is for your loved ones today. We need to just call upon the Lord. Ask Him, come Lord Jesus, heal me, touch me, do something new in my life, bring restoration. And that can be that miracle waiting for you. The Word of God says in Isaiah 53, verse 5, By His wounds, I'm healed. When you watch The Passion of Christ, it's such a difficult movie to watch for me. 
watching how Christ really suffered. And I remembered He took my sickness, my disease, my pain. He took it all, whether it's a physical ailment, whether it's something within you, an emotional need that needs healing. That's the power of the cross. You know, church, when I began to wait upon the Lord for the word, I believe He, he gave me this word. And He said this, tell the church that every believer needs to embrace the message of the cross, the word of the cross every single day of their lives. That they will be the ones who begin to lay hands on their friends and the friends will become healed. That they will be the ones to pray over areas of struggle, areas where they need freedom and they shall receive their freedom. Because the Lord says, in the last days, I will pour out my spirit on all flesh. That is the activation that the Lord wants to do in glad tidings, in this church, even for this season. This is our time, church. It takes you and I to say, no more flying under the radar. It takes you and I to say, Lord, I want to activate the power of the cross. Despite the paradoxes that exist in the mind of the world, I know the purpose. I know the purpose of the cross was because you loved me so much. just want to end with this. I have the worship team. Only in the cross will we receive power when we are powerless. We will find strength when we are weak. We will experience hope when our situation is hopeless. Only in the cross is there peace for our troubled hearts. Church, is there a situation in your life where you, you struggle, you say, Lord, I feel so powerless. I feel so empty. I want this power that, that, that's being declared today. I want that strength. I want that miracle, that healing, that breakthrough. I want to grow in my faith. I want to be used by you this year, Lord, that my faith will grow that I will learn to share the word with boldness. Church, this is something for all of us to come before the Lord, make that altar before the Lord and say, God, I want more. I want more of you. Give me more. There are so many who continue to gaze upon the cross and yet we hold on to our pain our hurt, our struggles, our disappointments. But you know what? All these things, they don't belong in your life. They can be released to the Lord. Jesus has taken them away. He's taken them, the debt has been paid. And the Lord wants us to walk in victory today, walk in obedience today. And so today, I just want to encourage us to make an altar where you are. Make an altar where you are. Just every eye is closed right now. Put away your phones. Put away whatever else, bulletins. just want to encourage us all to just take this 
moment to be quiet before the Lord. Hallelujah. Just being quiet. No one moving around right now. Let's just honour the presence of the Lord right now. Begin to ask the Lord. Begin to seek the Lord. Say, God, this area I need you, Lord. What is the area of your life that you know you need the Lord to do something? Is it family, family situations that you say, Lord, I can't handle these situations anymore? Or maybe this challenging work things and you're saying, God, I need a way out. I need a breakthrough. Maybe it's your finances. Or maybe it's a healing touch that you need. Just begin to talk to the Lord right now. Oh, 